0: Welcome to the Staying Golden Podcast, where we'll be catching up with Laurier alumni to give the Laurier community a glimpse of what the future may hold after graduation. We would like to acknowledge that Wilfrid Laurier University and its campuses are located on the Haldeman Track, traditional territory of the neutral, Anishinaabe, and Haudenosaunee peoples.
1: Today, we welcome back Dr. Ilan Tarfari, who joined us last August to continue the conversation around COVID-19 and where do we go from here. Ilan is a L'Oreal alumnus and a native of Kitchener, Ontario. Ilan currently works as the clinical medical microbiologist at Fourth Valley Royal Hospital in Scotland. He has graciously offered to come on this podcast to share his on-the-ground knowledge and expertise with us today. Ilan has also provided some links that we will include in the podcast notes. Thanks for joining us today, Elon. So great to have you.
0: Thanks for having me again. Nice to see you.
1: Yeah, so let's just jump right into it. Back in August, when you joined us for Inspiring Conversations, the conversation was around the Delta variant and what the future meant with the adult population being double vaccinated. And now we find ourselves uh, in a very different situation, a conversation around a new variant and boosters. Can you talk to us a little bit about this new variant and what you've seen in terms of transmissibility symptoms, vaccine, and antiviral efficacy?
0: Well, yeah. So back back a few months ago, it felt like Delta was just kind of here to stay, didn't it? And it was in a way I thought we were kind of getting to a better place of learning how to live with it. And we we had made some good headways in, in getting a maybe a good balance uh with, with our restrictions and our and our protection features. But that seems to have all gone and changed with Omicron, because um, it seems to have a few really big differences, despite the fact that it's still very much the same virus. Uh, so so it is still coronavirus. It, it hasn't changed. It's still very much uh, a disease that could cause um, COVID-19. So in that respect, same virus. But yeah, it's still very different. And and it's probably its biggest difference is, I mean, if you're a virologist, uh, you get really excited about these things. But Getting down to the VIPRO side of things, it's the number of mutations. And that's really what is the difference between uh, Omicron and Delta. So, Delta looked uh, different to the very first uh, coronavirus that came out that we identified first in China. And this one's changed even further. So, it's had over 40 or 50 different mutations to get to where it is now from Delta. So, so that's a significant number of mutations. And uh, that just shows you that it likes changing. And it's probably its biggest difference when you ask, well, what's different about it to me as a person? Uh, well, really, it seems to be very different in how quickly it spreads. So, you know, one person can seem seemingly affect a lot, infect a lot more people uh, if they're contagious. Uh, another person um, with Delta may not have been able to infect as many if they were doing exactly the same activities. So, so it's already telling you that there's some competitive advantage Uh, in Omicron, uh, whether that's because it's uh, producing more virus in your nose, which is what early studies are producing and telling us that uh, right now it's doing about 100 times more uh, in your nose, which is Probably why it's more infectious because every time you sneeze, cough, or splutter, uh, if you're not wearing a mask and you're in a crowded place or a space with low ventilation, it's just going to get everywhere. And if it's going to do that, you can imagine that if you're near that person and you're not uh, currently infected, you're probably going to get it because there's a lot more viral material kind of kicking around the air. Uh, In terms of the other features about it that make it different, um, I mean we're hearing we're hearing about could it be milder. And that's a really tough one, because everything we can see so far has to take into account that in the Delta wave of the coronavirus uh, uh, sort of, you know, series of uh, infections that we've had between Alpha, Delta, and now Omicron, people may have had um, uh, an infection with coronavirus previously. Uh, They may also have been vaccinated, which previously they wouldn't have been. So Omicron may feel mild to a lot more people at the minute probably because either they've had coronavirus recently or they've had a vaccine recently and uh, they're topped up, so to speak. Um, but it also may feel mild because it doesn't seem to be getting into our lungs quite as well. So when they did this similar study looking at uh, Delta looking at uh, and Delta versus Omicron in cells in the lungs, they found that Delta was much better at getting into lung cells than uh, the Omicron variant was. So I think overall what we're seeing is a slight shift in the way the disease causes disease and and the way people feel when they have it. Uh, What's worrying from an infection perspective is, you know, if you've got pneumonia, you can't really move very far, but if you've just got, you know, symptoms that are kind of like a head cold, you might feel more inclined still just to get up and go out. And that's putting you at risk, I suppose, of spreading it around. So there's a few things that are different and you asked about treatments. Um, If we go back a few months, we had a small number of treatments relative to today. And those number of treatments have, I wouldn't say exploded, but they've certainly increased. Uh, So now we've got all sorts of things. We've got biologic treatments, uh, which are fantastic drugs that normally end with Mab. You might have heard of those. You've also got Protease inhibitors, nucleoside analogs, and all that sort of stuff. So, I won't get into too much detail other than to say that uh, we've certainly come a long way and we see now more treatment options. Those were based on Delta, though. So, when they did the studies, they were looking at that in the context of Delta. Now, if we look at how they will work with the Omicron variant, well, I'm sorry, but there's a big question mark. <laughs> So um, I think you might have been hoping for me to say something really nice, like, yeah, they all work perfectly. But actually, uh, it looks like some of our biologic therapies may not work as well. And doesn't mean they won't work at all. It just may be that they don't work as well. And that does mean that you might want to use them in combination with another therapy. So when you're in a hospital setting, it's not unusual for you to be getting more than one treatment at once. Uh, for whatever it is you're impatient for. But if you happen to have COVID, now you might be getting two, three, maybe even four different drugs to help you get better. And we think that that combination of different drugs will work, uh, which you know increases the possibility of side effects, but also increases the chance that you won't gain any sort of resistance in the virus and that you'll be able to get better sooner. So overall, it, it's very much a similar virus. Uh, it just seems to like different cells, different part of the body a little bit better, and it seems to be a lot better at getting around from person to person so few changes
1: um, just going on that uh, there i've sort of i 've seen some of the stats about vaccination efficacy being lower to this new variant. Is there a reason for that
0: so the vaccines were very much developed on what many might think of as the original coronavirus that was detected uh, over a year ago now. And that means that it's particularly good at that. And it's maybe, you know, been very good at uh, alpha and a Delta variant. But what we can see now is that if you've had two doses of the vaccine, although you are protected, the protection to what people might call symptomatic disease or what most people would say that you feel you've got COVID uh, is lower. So, so more people might know at the moment with Omicron that they would have been infected. So they'll have symptoms, whether that's uh, the cough, the fever, the, the runny nose. Uh, but thankfully, it means they won't be as severe. Uh, on, on a positive note, though, it looks like the actual protection for severe infection. So a severe infection is somebody who gets admitted to the hospital. That's that's my definition of severe anyways, uh, would be that you are more likely to be infected with uh, more likely to be admitted if you had Omicron, even if you were double vaccinated. But there's reassuring data that demonstrate if you've recently had your second dose of the vaccine, or you're recently been boosted with uh, with with any of the vaccines, uh, you are more likely to not be admitted to the hospital. So there's there's some reassuring figures there that demonstrate that actually what we needed to do. Which is what's happening right now in Ontario and here in Scotland is we're seeing these absolutely massive increases in uh, booster vaccines being delivered and it's probably what's going to help most people who may get infected stay out of the hospital.
1: Well that's definitely good news. While we're on it, I want to jump on that comment that you made about people thinking this is the mild variant. I've seen people talking about this variant as being the mild one and perhaps the best version to get if you're going to get one. What do you say to people with this mindset?
0: Yeah, um, that's, that's an interesting way of looking at it. I mean, I can see from, you know, just just someone out there thinking, if I had to take my chances with one, this might be the one to do it with. And actually, I can kind of see where they're coming from, although I do not suggest they actively go out and get it. Uh, that's because although you might be fine, the person, remember how I said it, it's very, very infectious. The person you give it to may not be so fine and, and although you might be double vaccinated, triple vaccinated, you might even have somehow four vaccines, I don't know, but it doesn't matter. The, the, the risk isn't so much with yourself. If, if, if one considers that they may go on to infect a number of other people, whether that's at work, whether that's at a holiday celebration or in some other aspect of your life, that is the real risk. And how are they going to respond? They may not have had their vaccine. That individual may not have mounted a response to the vaccine, or even if they have, they may still not do well because they have an underlying condition. That means that they can't fight the, the infection quite as well as you can. So I'm hoping that people see this. It may be that they know somebody who's had it, that it's been mild, and they feel a little bit more reassured that if they get it, they should be fine. But please remember that you may not be seeing the people who are the sickest. The, that's what we see in the hospital. And I can assure you, we are still seeing people admitted to the hospital, even if it's with the Omicron variant.
1: Well, continuing that conversation, Given this current situation and this variant we are battling now, what are your insights to what restrictive measures might look like? I mean, you know that we've had more restrictions in place now in Ontario for the next couple of weeks. Um, People are wondering, how long will this be? What does it look like for the next six months? Is this a situation we might see infinitely repeated as new variants uh, emerge? And is there a way to stop this cycle?
0: Well, I... I think we are going to find that it's going to be, with this particular variant, I think the measures that Ontario has announced will make a big difference in how quickly it can spread. I worry a little bit, though, because um, recent decisions have meant that testing has changed, so we won't necessarily know the full impact of these decisions. So we won't know how many people have coronavirus if not everyone can access a PCR test. And I think that it's going to be tricky for the government then to be able to say, well, did that work? And I would say that actually anywhere, testing has been the mainstay of knowing if a, if, if any of your measures have worked. And I, I would actually encourage everyone to continue doing testing, whether that's through the rapid antigen tests or through PCR tests. Uh, that's going to form a big part of understanding how the virus is spreading. And importantly, if it's changing. So that's that's something just to bear in mind, that it was through PCR testing in South Africa that we learned about Omicron at the beginning. So it wasn't through rapid antigen tests. It was through, you know, these big centers that were doing uh, these, these PCR tests and being able to do whole genome sequencing on the result, uh, which you cannot do with a rapid antigen test. Uh, but what we need to, what we need to still get to, and this is this is what I alluded to in the talk a few months ago, which is, you know, I still think we have to learn how to live with this changing situation. And and, and I don't think that's going to be the same. Unfortunately, it's not going to be as common-collected as we want it to be. I think we're just going to have to watch and see how it plays out and then respond to the virus as it as it shifts. I think we're just losing a big bit of information if we're not able to monitor who's getting the infection, where they're getting the infection. And if it's the same variant or maybe a new one that they might be bringing in from somewhere else. So where do I see things going and do I think the number of uh, or or the the measures have been uh, put in place will work? Well, it sounds like they're all doing Pretty much the same thing, which is they reducing the number of contacts you have, and and that certainly will reduce the number of people who should get infected. Should somebody have symptoms, or or rather be asymptomatic, and that and happen to pass on the infection to somebody else. So, in general, I think they probably will have an effect. As always, it'll take a few weeks for that to be noticeable in the data, um, and I think that. Um, If there was another variant that came through that was more successful than Omicron, and what we've seen in the past is that only successful variants make their way into the dominant role in the population, I kind of hope that the next one, if there is one, um, just fizzles out. That's kind of my hope. But um, at the moment, I don't have a prediction other than to say, I think we just have to find the right balance of protective measures and testing and how to live our lives as the way we'd like to.
1: I want to I want to go back to that idea of testing and I know one of the things that as a parent I am concerned about especially thinking about sending my kids back to school is that we have basically stopped testing. So what does that what does that mean for this situation and and the concerns that that parents have that that people with elderly um, family members have like what does this mean for for like our the way that we track this and and how we would proceed well if 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 testing
0: was of anyone who was symptomatic that would give you information about who had symptoms uh, and that that's that's ideal actually so that you can track that but what we've seen with coronavirus is about a third of the people out there don't have any symptoms at all they might just be a contact and they may unknowingly be passing it to other people uh, in their lives And that happens at the level of children as well. So you mentioned about kids in school. So we noticed that with the Delta wave, um, that kids all of a sudden were getting much more infection than we saw in previous waves. And that was despite the fact that kids were still, maybe not always in school, that's not true of everywhere. But it was certainly the case that kids were getting exposed to coronavirus and they really weren't that unwell. And this time around, that seems to have changed with Delta and it seems to have changed with Omicron as well. So do I think that there should be testing in schools uh, or in any other environments where large groups congregate? I think it's a good idea. Certainly here in the United Kingdom, uh, in Scotland in particular, uh, right now, if you're a healthcare worker, you're doing a daily rapid uh, antigen test before you go to work. So that's absolutely every single day. Uh, kids are invited to do tests as well, rapid antigen tests at home. They're freely available to the government here. Um, this isn't me showing off, by the way, I'm just pointing out some differences, but uh, uh what that's helped us do is identify things earlier, because, again, we can't ignore the fact that there are children out there and teachers who work in the school and support assistants and other staff who work in schools uh, that may themselves have transplants, that may have other conditions. So I do think that what we want to get to is a stage where we don't cause alarm when you find a case, but that that what we want to find is a way to contain uh, as much as we can at any further spread, which can happen very quickly in the classroom spreading. Anybody just has to um, remember those those letters we used to get as kids when somebody had headlights uh, or something in the classroom. Um, everybody got a piece of paper telling them to keep an eye out. But um, with this, I think we need to work very quickly. Um, and in terms of other mitigating strategies, I think, I think what's been announced about putting in more HEPA filters into school is probably the right thing because kids do need to be in school. And I, I say that not uh, being a parent myself, but being somebody who can identify the advantages that school offers our children, uh, it's undeniable. Uh, they they absolutely learn so much better in a school-like environment, but what they need to have is clean air so that the number of cases you identify is is nil from the school environment, uh, if, if at all possible. And I think mask wearing is also an important element of this. I can't stress enough uh, at the minute, just that we haven't spoken about it yet, but I think that mask wearing absolutely has a benefit. And that's the right type of mask. I think we're going to start seeing more types of sort of surgical mask use. uh, And that's just because the cloth ones, they do provide some protection. But if you compare it with a sort of surgical-like mask, it offers a lot more protection and it's much more reliable protection. And and again, in school environments, that's really easy to hand those out at the front door as kids are arriving. So it, it doesn't have to be a case of can you have enough of those at home for your family? They can be offered at the school. So I think that the, the 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 need for testing is absolutely paramount. I think we should be doing it in ways that are easy and convenient. And I think that it needs to be robust, if that's the right word to use in this situation. If 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 I can say so that that people can feel that what they're doing is is helping and, and not just a something that that feels taxing, which is actually where I worry about at the minute.
1: Thanks so much for that. I want to quickly go back to vaccinations. We've, we've talked about testing. We've talked about protective measures. I want to talk about um, sort of what's happening here with vaccinations. We, we, we in Ontario, as you mentioned, are in a scramble for third doses right now. <laughs> We're on the tail, just the tail of approved vaccinations for children. Uh, people are wondering about, cons- parents are wondering about concerns for children, vaccination, and the best educated guess for how long are we going to keep doing this? Like, so I just recently got my third dose. When am I going to expect, should I expect a fourth dose? Should I expect a fifth dose? You know, there, there are lots of, a lot of questions and concerns about vaccination. So I'm just going to throw that out to you. Yeah, yeah.
0: No, I can, I certainly have been hearing those as well. And I think that they're very valid questions. So how, how much do you need to poke my immune system to, um, to, to pre- protect me? Uh, I mean, it is a huge cost to people to have to get to go out and make about 15 calls, it sounds like, to get onto a list uh, and and in order to get a vaccine, especially if you're doing it for your whole family and you're trying to get everybody done in in one go. Uh, I've heard from many people back uh, in Ontario, as well as um, elsewhere in Canada, that they find it very difficult to get the appointments that they need. Do I think you are gonna need them? Yes, I think the third dose is absolutely a benefit. If you're eligible, please go and get it. Uh, if you haven't already, and if you haven't had your first or second dose, please go get that too, uh, so that you can get to your third dose uh, eventually. Now, will you need a further dose, a fourth dose? Well, I don't know. My guess, however, looking at how quickly our, our, our immune systems seem to wane after the second dose, I say how quickly, uh, it looks like we might have needed a third dose anyways to protect ourselves, even if coronavirus had sort of dipped down further than it had if it hadn't been for Omicron. Uh, it looks like Israel's already started a fourth dose. Uh, that looks like that's going to be approved uh, if it hasn't already. Uh, and, and I think it's important to note that other countries may follow suit. And again, that's because in public health agencies, what they're doing is monitoring serological evidence of of one's response to vaccines, and then deciding whether or not that's also leading to an increase in hospitalization. So if we can keep our levels high uh, of of vaccine, so showing that we've got good protection levels that should keep us safe from getting to be admitted. So I do think that it's possible we will need a fourth dose. I couldn't tell you if that means we need a fifth dose, uh, because I've got my fingers crossed that this Maybe will be over in the next sort of you know twelve to eighteen months, just based on hope and fingers crossed alone. Uh, but but if, if if it does, I just would like to remind people that this this vaccine isn't alone in needing more than one dose. You know we are quite familiar now, I think, with the with the flu being a yearly vaccine, and perhaps at one point COVID may become a yearly vaccine if 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 the vaccine uh, can be made stable so that it can can manage all sorts of variants and whatnot. So that, that's where people are much smarter with than me when it comes to vaccine development. But it's probably worth mentioning that there's other viruses like hepatitis B, which, you know, it's not, that's a very different virus, but it, it, it takes several doses uh, of the vaccine in order to be protected. Same with meningococcal disease and other bacterial infections. It's, it's not just one, it's, it's actually several. And we forget about that as adults, because as adults, the only time you really get a vaccine is either, it's not the flu, it's probably when you go on a holiday somewhere. So, do I think we'll need a fourth one? It's possible. If I were to see it happening, it would probably be you know towards the summertime or or early in the sp- uh, early in the autumn fall period again, just before the winter, uh, and that would just purely be to top up our levels ahead of the winter time when people tend to spend more time indoors.
1: I want to loop back to concerns about children getting vaccines, um, and also. A very selfish question on my point, because in Ontario, we've only been able for the majority to get first dose for our kids. And how is that protection uh, over this new variant?
0: Right. So it looks like kids are definitely seeing more infection. I've noticed that children are, are, are getting tested positive more frequently. And again, that's probably because of their exposure, both in school environments and other environments that kids tend to find themselves in. And it's not a bad idea, actually, to get kids vaccinated for a few reasons. One, again, going back to we don't know who actually may have and uh, who might be clinically vulnerable, for example, uh, it's worth being able to vaccinate and protect people as best you can, even if their symptoms would be mild, because if it can reduce the uh, infection in them, that's fewer days at home, it's fewer days in bed, uh, and it's fewer days where they feel miserable. But importantly, it's also What we've noticed with the first uh, couple of uh, vaccines, we've noticed that it has actually reduced transmissibility of of the virus. We're hoping that we see the same thing with Omicron. It's looking like it may be less effective um, at uh, reducing the transmissibility. However, it doesn't mean it's ineffective. So I just want to draw that distinction that although it may not be as good as it was with Delta, Let's not forget that it's still helping, so it can reduce that. And again, a child may not be as able to wear a mask as an adult, and so there are reasons why you'd want their, the children to be vaccinated. Uh, just on the point about the the difference in younger children, they actually get a smaller dose of the vaccine than an adult does. And I just want to draw a distinction there. I think I think um, people may rightly think if they see. The the, the, the the syringe, is, it's always filled with the same quantity. I just want to point out that kids actually need a much smaller dose because they mount a much more um, robust immune response when they get a vaccine. So they, they need a much smaller amount. And uh, on, a, on, a, on a very positive but happy note, very few side effects. Uh, everybody who's taken their kids for their standard childhood vaccines knows that they It's not uncommon for them to get a bit of a fever. They don't feel so great afterwards. You've got to coax them with uh, maybe a treat or two in order to to feel better uh, uh, about getting the vaccine. But um, it's short-lived. And I just want to point out that even the most severe forms, and people may have heard about the more severe things that have happened in terms of this inflammation of the heart, which people have heard about the myocarditis always been very, very mild. And and I say that in the sense that although the child has gone to the hospital to be seen by a pediatrician, it's been reassuring that they haven't spent more than a day or two in hospital uh, in both cases. And that's, again, that's extreme. So I want to just point out that that's incredibly rare. Uh, I know I don't have kids. I've that that earlier, but I would absolutely be bringing them to get a vaccine if they were in the right age category. If you're really young, I just want to point out, if you're under the age of five, it doesn't look like the vaccines that are currently available uh, have shown any beneficial effects. So we're not probably going to see children under the age of four at this point, four and younger vaccinated against COVID with the current vaccines that are available. That of course might change. There's a lot of vaccines in development across the world. And I don't think we're done seeing coronavirus vaccines coming out. Uh, but I do think that we're going to see tweaks to them. And it may be, again, that um, they may become eligible with a different type of vaccine in the future.
1: Well, that's such good information. I don't think I've heard about that the study yet about children under five not having the benefits. That That's really interesting. All right, I'm going to have one more question for you, and um, this is more about the aftermath of when you get COVID. So there's talk about this wave hitting the majority of the population, and people are bracing for this impact. I read recently that patients who recovered from COVID have displayed persistent autoantibodies causing chronic inflammation. Can you speak to the complications of long COVID and some of the long-term effects seen in patients who have recovered from COVID?
0: Yeah, so we're starting to understand uh, COVID a lot better now that it's been around for a few years. And I think we're only beginning to understand long COVID. And and that's actually quite an interesting one. So if, if I take this back a couple of years, people might have a memory of a time when they had another viral infection and they felt miserable at the time. But once they felt better, they didn't feel 100 percent just yet. Now, that's a post-viral fatigue type syndrome, and that's not uncommon. With COVID, it seems that some people were feeling that a lot longer, and in fact, some people still are displaying features. and that was when they were infected with previous variants. So we know from both the uh, original wild-type variants which, um, which we've talked about, and then alpha and then uh, delta, those variants seem to have created situations where people may have gone on to have temperatures like, you know, mild fevers days, weeks after the coronavirus infection was ultimately done and they were able to breathe back normally. They were out and about doing their stuff, but they just didn't feel great. They, they, they had um, myalgia or just aches and pains. And those are the kind of common things Some have actually described more sinister features, so they've got sort of lower, uh, um, you know, their their memory threshold maybe isn't so good anymore for short-term memory, and some people find that that they describe it as a brain fog, and that seems to be uh, an interesting description. Again, I think there's going to be, what we really need here are some longitudinal studies that we really need to understand, where does this take us in a few weeks and months, what happens if you're reinfected? What happens if you're vaccinated? Because let's not forget at the very beginning, not you know, nobody was vaccinated in the beginning. And uh, over time, people have been vaccinated. And there were some early information that suggested vaccines helped people with long COVID symptoms, uh, help those resolve. So I'd like to think that um, we'll understand this a lot better. Is it is it real? Well, it would seem so, uh, because we're starting to see a lot more people who are describing this. Um, and everybody seems to have a different level of experience with it. So some people are, you know, absolutely just they're fine most of the time, but they just feel a little bit tired. And then some people range to feeling a little bit more, um, you know, down and out because they can't remember quite as well as they used to. So I think think we don't know the full impact of long COVID. I hope that we're not going to see any big impact in children. Uh, I say that. Specifically, because these are young minds that are still growing and they're still taking on new information. Uh, thankfully, we haven't seen much in the way of reported long COVID in that age group, but it's early days and I don't want to say that it can't happen. Certainly, we've seen it in people who are, um, I would say, over the age of 20. That seems to be, you know, if you since see it in adults but uh, I think we need to do more work and understand if there is long COVID effect in children. And uh, that was actually recently discussed at uh, the European um, Society of, of Pediatric Infectious Diseases. And uh, I think we're still trying to understand it. Uh, so I think we've got another conference coming up in the, in, in, in the spring of this year. So I'm hoping that we'll see some more data that's coming out from that work uh, that's trying to understand it in younger people and how their experience with COVID is. But uh, I really do think that long COVID is something we do have to get our heads around and understand how long it can last and if it needs a treatment or if it just needs time.
1: Elon, thank you. This has been so great. Thank you for taking the time. I know you're super busy and I, there's lots going on. And I really, really appreciate you taking the time to share your expertise with us.
0: Oh, uh, well, thanks for having me again. It's been absolutely wonderful to see you. And hi, uh, everybody. Back at Laurier.
1: <laughs> All right. Take care.
0: Take care.